Yowie, wowie, welcome to the show, episode four. I'm your host, Jermaine Colon Mendez, and this is my co-host, Nicholas Morahan. I always sound like when you ask me to do it, I always sound like I'm that robot voice where you're like, you have a collect call from, and then it pauses that weird second, and then you have to be like, Nick Morahan. Yeah, that's why I said your name this time. I'm, I'm like, he no longer has the responsibility of saying his own name. Hey, everybody, it's Nick Morahan gonna have to hold your hand to the finish line that's right thank god thank god we have you jermaine i mean without me you'd probably turn down a deal to get five hundred thousand dollars and your original ip content back or or you know to one up that maybe you turn down a deal for 175 million it's it's i i don't know i don't know what to say if if i'm ever i i really hope that I, I come to a place in my life one day where I'm able to look at $500,000 and then I'm going to, I have someone that I care about in my life that goes, you know what? You don't need that money. And I go, you know what? I don't need that money because right now, and I can't really imagine a point in my last 28 years where I've ever been at that point, And I can't imagine a point in the next 28 where I'm going to be like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'll be making $500,000 a year to get to sit in a chair for probably an hour and a half a week and crank out a podcast episode. I do it now for free. For free. Well, well, technically, technically Jermaine, we are both professional podcasters. Shout out us Navy. Shout out, uh, shout out corporate America for you. I mean, technically we're in the red on this podcast. Uh, just just the fees of running it. Uh, I think we're actually in the red, much like our gambling career and our stock market career. Help us out, people. We're in the red. Click the link below to donate. Donate and subscribe. What's the uh, Sarah McLaughlin music? Insert Sarah McLaughlin oh. music here, dude. In the arms of an angel. It's just you and I giving puppy dog eyes like in a cage, like looking There's- up, looking up at the cage. Yeah. For a dollar a day, you can support Nick and Jermaine's podcast, Room 303. A- Apple estimates they only have six subscribers for just a cup of coffee. I actually saw that. I was just like, how is our subscribers six when so many people have like reached out to us? Shout out the listeners. You guys yeah, are the real the MVP. Listener. The we're so, so we're gonna we're gonna have a, a momentous occasion. We might have already had it, but we looked at the we looked at the analytics because we're still those guys that look at our analytics. Um, and we're almost at a hundred downloads, Jermaine. So yeah, thank thank you everybody for for listening and and giving your feedback. Hitting that century mark, baby. So we kind of Jermaine, we kind of <laughs> flubbed this last week, but we we talked to you guys last week about uh, how we're going to start doing trivia at the beginning of the podcast, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about it in a second. And Nick talks out of his ass, but the trivia last week was not well researched on my part, uh, and it was just kind of off the cuff. Something we decided to do this week. We're coming in well researched, locked and loaded with a trivia question. So. To go over the rules, Jermaine, for and all, and all you listening at home, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a trivia question right now, and then at the end of the show, we'll give you the answers to the trivia question. Make sense? Sure. Sure does. Yeah. All right, Jermaine. So here's your trivia question for episode four. The trivia question is, what four teams, what four NFL teams have never appeared in the Super Bowl? I'll read it again. What four 
NFL teams have never appeared in a Super Bowl? And we'll give you that answer at the end of the podcast. Now, Jermaine, we had some giant news in the podcasting world in which we are now part of. Tell the folks what has happened this week that has given us some light at the end of the tunnel for our bank accounts. Yeah, it's uh, this is the goal now, right? I didn't even think this was a possible goal until I heard the news. But Spotify has been pretty proactive in their push into the podcast market. They're trying to diversify their streams of income, which is, if you ever hear me talk, that's a big sticking point for me. I try to tell everyone to diversify. And so they are. They've recently snatched up like Ringer Podcast Network, uh, which hosts, uh, I think it's Bill Simmons Podcast and much many others. But they had the coup of the century and they purchased Joe Rogan exclusively for $100 million, right? And there's other incentives and things built in with downloads and advertisements that can probably make this deal worth much more. But what I try to explain to people about this deal that's pretty iconic and it's going to change the entertainment landscape forever is that Joe Rogan essentially, as the example I used with some of my friends was he essentially like sold the naming rights of his podcast, but kept everything else like the IP and anything that's worth anything. So I use this as analogy, right? Because the saints are looking to, around and shopping the naming rights for their current stadium, the Superdome. And in 2011, they got 60 million from Mercedes Benz to have the naming rights. Joe Rogan made 40 million more for an exclusive podcast to just own. All it has to do is air only on Spotify. Nothing changes except for the fact that full episodes won't be available on YouTube. And I was doing a little research into it and, the reason why Joe Rogan made this choice was to take a shot at Google and the current cancel culture and the current censorship, like book burning essentially, which I feel like people aren't taking as seriously as they need to, because there's many things that are just being censored off of social media where their pages are getting blocked and locked down because it doesn't agree with somebody's moralistic sensibilities that they only enforce on certain topics at certain times. And Joe Rogan said, I'm sick and tired of YouTube and Google treating me like crap. Twitter as well. And Twitter as well. And, and so he took the power into his own hands and said, F you, I'm going to go do this. Dude, this is one of the reasons why Joe Rogan is as big as he is. And it's pretty funny because he's a hysterical comment, uh, comic. He's an outstanding commentator for UFC, but most people know him for his podcasts and getting high and asking people if they've ever tried DMT, which is just speaks to the testament of, the, of his ability to entertain. I think one of the things too is that he he's not he he gives the he gives the impression as like an everyman, right? He gives the impression as like you and me. Like I, I've I've talked to you before, listening to his podcasts or like some of the some of the talks that we've had in the Boneyard. Shout out Boneyard. Some some of the talks that we've had in the original room three hundred three. But he comes in, listen, like he he can talk he can talk to a guy like Daryl Davis one day. Who if you guys don't look up if you guys don't know who Daryl Davis is, awesome black jazz musician who's converted hundreds of 
neo-Nazi and Ku Klux Klan members just by hanging out with them. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have a stance. He doesn't have a, a pro thing. He just goes and hangs out with these people. And they're like, Oh, he's actually a pretty cool guy. He can talk to guys like Darren Davis. And, and then the next episode, a, a, a day later, he can talk to a guy like Elon Musk and he can not sound out of his league in either of those. And he says all the time, Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just dumb. Like I'm just stupid, but he's, he's able to carry on three hour long conversations with these guys. And that's the thing. But that is, that is the main reason Jermaine, but I can also think of a hundred million other reasons why he was like, Oh yeah, I'll take a shot at Google. This wasn't like a philanthropy thing where he's like, I'm going to take a shot at Google. He's like, Oh, a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I'll take a shot at Google. That's a whole lot of ducats, baby. Yeah, just getting Joe Rogan getting ducats. All right, now it's time for everyone's uh, favorite segment. It seems to be a real sticking point of the show that, uh, you know, maybe we put out 60 minutes of a podcast, but the, the there's two minutes that people seem to really, really harp on because we didn't know the one thing that they happened to know. And that is Nick talks out of his ass yeah so this is i and we love it we honestly like all the all the stuff that we've been getting from people uh, we love it right and and i encourage everyone that's listening to go through the podcast and don't be afraid to text myself or jermaine jermaine or i i guess i should use actual english um and tell us hey you this was not right you should have done like that i i talk out of my ass a lot as as the podcast moves on it moves forward and and maybe i can you know pick a career path that brings me out to Ger- brings me out to Jermaine so we can start podcasting in person and maybe put this stuff on YouTube. Um, we're, we're going to move into actually having a fact checker on the show with us. And that, that'll be pretty nice. But until then I'm going to keep talking about out of my ass and you guys are going to keep correcting me. So uh, for those of you who are just turning in, the way this works is we make a lot of mistakes uh, and I don't do my research uh, some of the time like 10% of the time I'm very well researched until I'm not. But last week, here are some of the mistakes that I made. So going back to that trivia question that I mentioned earlier, we asked the trivia question last week, how many active Super Bowl winning quarterbacks have never gotten a vote for MVP? The high profile one was Russell Wilson. And that was the answer that we were looking for. However, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Flacco and Nick Foles, who famously took over for Carson Wentz in week 16, all did not get votes. All have never received one vote for the MVP. So there were actually four answers to that trivia question. So shout out people that have commented and been like, that's a stupid trivia question. We appreciate it. We love you guys. The Kapalua golf course that I talked about. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. I want to touch on this. I love that in episode three, I blew up your trivia question at the end with my Nick Foles guess out of nowhere. And and second, uh, some of, some of my, uh, well-educated friends need to step it up because my mom guessed Russell Wilson. That's not, that's not a shot at my mom or anything, but you know, sports is not her forte. Shout out mama Mendez. (laughs) Mama Mendez. Anyways, carry on with your, uh, more mistakes. Yeah. So Kapalua golf course that we talked about when talking about the release of, uh, PGA tour, 2k 21 by the way released going to be released in august so excited both jermaine and i are really excited for it shameless plug sponsor us uh 
Kapalua golf course is on Maui. It's not on the big island. I said it was on the big island. Uh, we talked about uh, the three players that we wanted that started or chose that we started with the first initial of our first name. We mentioned we talked about a guy, Jason Hayward. I said he was a former Cub. He's not a former Cub. He's a current Cub. Uh, and we also talked about another guy, John Jay, who I thought was a Cub. At the time of the podcast, he was a Chicago White Sox, but he was actually traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks since that, since the podcast and today, the last episode three and today. So he is currently an Arizona Diamondback. And then the final mistake that I made is I said Nick Markakis was uh, an all-star in 2019. He was an all-star in 2018. And I think I said something about hits or something. Like he has the most hits or something in MLB history before the all-star game. No, he played the most games in Major League history before the All-Star break. You want to take a guess at how many games Nick Mark Kakis played in Major League Baseball, Jermaine, before he got uh, one All-Star selection? How many games he played in before he made the All-Star game? Before he made the All-Star team, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, if we're talking about it, it's got to be at least four figures. So I'm going to go 1,000. $264 because that's the amount of money score and McLaurin made me on one prop bet. We will will get there. We will get there in in due time, Jermaine. But no, he played in 1,928 games, almost 2,000 games in Major League Baseball before this man got a nod for the All-Star game. Crazy. And I, I'm sure I'm sure I've, I'm sure I, I'm sure I missed something, but that that'll conclude Nick talks out of his ass from episode three. Man, almost two thousand ball games. Two thousand games. Well, nineteen nineteen hundred twenty eight. Yeah, that's almost two thousand. That is my outrageous. Dude, my dude hits in like in like the the like top of the of the league too. Yeah, he but he has he has gap power, right? Not not uh. As you, said, as you said earlier in the week, doubles power, yeah. Yeah, shout out Hunter Pence. All right, sorry, sip break. All right, so this week I wanted to introduce a little uh, topic. Nick, Nick, Nick Marcakis, by the way, has a career 288 batting average. Wow, that's really good, actually. Yeah, he's not a bum. Shout out the death of the 300 hitter. Uh, anyways, so this week I wanted to introduce a little segment. It's not going to be a weekly segment. It's just whenever something pops up, but it's going to be called Thoughts from the Stoop. Don't don't ask me why I came up with that name. I was on the toilet. And, you know, that's where most good thinking is done. But uh, I was just uh, thinking about the Rooney rule and how we were discussing we didn't like the draft pick compensation but I understood what the NFL was trying to do. And uh, so I was sitting there trying to think of solutions because I don't like to just harp on not liking an idea and not presenting anything. So I came up with a compensatory pick system that is very similar to the free agent system where if teams lose talented players, they can still recoup a pick later on in the draft. And so these picks for the Rooney rule would be essentially the same thing. So the system I came up with is compensatory picks awarded for the grooming of minority executive and coaching positions. 
So the system draws the similar merit and it, it aims to reward franchises for taking on minority talent and grooming them, whether it be in team consumption, in, like in-house consumption, or for another franchise to hire through their off-season talent search. So my thought process on it was to incentivize uh, the initial hire. It, it, the thought process isn't to incentivize the initial hire because that should already be, that should already be happening. The initial hire should already be happening. So the thought process isn't to incentivize that, but it's to create incentive for the grooming of acceptable candidates for key front office positions uh, and coaching and et cetera. So I came up with a scale to break it, break out how it would be rewarded. So it's all third and below, just like the compensatory pick system, right? If you have someone hired from your organization to another organization in the NFL for a general manager, head coach, or president, you would get a third round pick. If you have an assistant GM, a president of less prominent roles, such as sales, legal, HR, business ops, etc., or a head coordinator position, whether that be offensive, defensive, or special team, you would get a fourth round pick. If you had assistant coaches hired or executive promotions, Right, So someone was working in your scout department and got hired by another team to be their head scout or be director or player personnel, you would get a fifth-round pick. All other initial minority hires would be sixth-round picks, and in-house promotions would be seventh-round picks. So you're, so, so you're saying, what was, what was the fifth-round one again? The fifth what was the sixth-round one? The fifth round pick would be assistant coaches. So QB coach, running back coach, offensive line coach, cornerback coach, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd have um, things like promotions. Let's say you have someone in your sales department and they get picked up for, you know, I have a person at the Saints uh, sales department and you're like, oh, I really like this person's numbers, performance. And you hire them to be a higher level to be like the head of your sales for the Carolina Panthers, that would net you a fifth round pick. And then all other initial minority hires would be a sixth round pick. And so this, obviously this is to be hashed out, but it would have to be a promotion of substantial, right? Because head of sales for an organization is a big position without head of sales. You aren't filling season ticket holder seats. Right. Without head of sales, you're not putting out these these packages for people to get six tickets for a bulk price or stuff like that. And you're and you're not effectively targeting your fan base. And so a head of sales is really strategic into the overall revenue structure of an organization. So that's why I think if you're getting promoted to like director of sales or director of legal or director of business ops, that's a really big deal. That's why a fifth round pick would substantiate that. And this isn't, a, this isn't a permanent change, right? So there's two other p- pieces with this, and then we'll, we'll get your thoughts and we'll, we'll get a little back and forth before we move on to the next thing. So on top of that, I created the T Act, which is Talent Enrichment and Acquisitions Act. So effective immediately. Each front office and coach. That's 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 that good Navy. Uh, make make an acronym and then guess and then make stuff stand for it. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I I was just like, I'm going to call it the T Act. I was like, I've heard this before. Where is this coming from? <laughs> so effective immediately, each front office and coaching staff has one additional personnel increase that is fielded by a minority candidate, whether it be uh, race or sex or you know any of the protected classes. Right, and they will act as aides to head coaches and GMs, and they're essentially shadowing them day to day, and they're their assistant. So by doing this, and so the T Act would only be around for the first five years of instating it, but this personnel increase will turn it's after it terminates after five years is used to bolster the initial pipeline and ranks of minority talent. So you're essentially building a pool for these guys to come into initially. These people are shadowing head coaches and GMs. They don't initially have to be hired as a head coach and GM. If they if they crush it and they show that they're really good for it, yeah, hire them. But then they could be put into the talent pool for coordinators or scouting department or being just in the executive front office but not necessarily the head guy. It's just it was in a way to bolster the, the pool to reach from. Because that's another issue that they have right now. They don't have enough in the lower rankings. And in conjunction with that, I was saying we established the Legends Transition Program. So you would incentivize them by facilitating the transition of qualified players in their twilight of their careers into executive and coaching roles by the awarding of a conditional fifth-round pick. Right? It's only awarded if the legend in question remains with the franchise at the completion of year three working in that executive position. To qualify for this legends pro- legend program, players must have three letters of recommendations from previous executives and or coaches, as well as demonstrate competence through written and practical exams that they have a firm grasp on maintaining the standard and quality that is expectant of a franchise leadership position in the NFL. Yeah, I mean it's ext- it's extremely well fleshed out by you. My, I, I, I don't, I don't think my concerns changed though. My, my concerns changed from the last time. Are, are you hiring the person that is most qualified for the job? So we talked, we talked pre-show about a bunch of coordinators coming out. I know Eric, ben- Eric BM, BMani, Jesus H. You still um, wrong. Yeah, whatever. What is the Kansas City Chiefs co-offensive coordinator or co-head coach, whatever they're calling him. And um, who's the former Bengals coach? Huey Lewis? Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson had a comment on it too, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're coming out and they're saying basically what I said on the last podcast, right? Which is, don't give us this. We want to work for it. And I I just, I don't. I I don't know. I it's 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 a good it's a good thing to to kind of basically so so what you what the T Act forces them to do, right? Is it forces them to create a position now. It's forcing action. It's a forcing function, which is good, which is something that's needed, but I don't know. I I think you should you should hire candidates based on based on their Merit, their merit, yeah, and not just and not just whether they're a minority or not. Now that now that that being said, it, it, again, we're we're 
there there has to be a change and and i i have not come up with any ideas for this but there has to be a change in the coaching hiring process and if it's and, and if it's if it's has to be forced in a way i think this is a good way to force it yeah and so what this is doing right so it's creating incentive for the initial hire without incentivizing the initial hire is is essentially what it's doing right yeah and so these teams are like, hey, we're going to take a flyer on, you know, Joe Schmo because we think he'll be a good addition to our coaching staff or front office, right? But if another team decides to take a leap on your guy that you've already initially poured resources into, right? Because if you've brought them into your organization, you've already spent time grooming them and showing them ropes on how you do it. So these guys are well-trained candidates. So it's the whole thing incentivizes creating a candidate pool that is diverse. So, so you're not getting a third-round pick if you hire if you hi, if you just hire a general manager from the from the rip. You I, you you hire. So does this does does this pool, in your opinion, is this just a minority pool? No, it's anybody can come into it. It doesn't. So you're it, saying, so so you're saying, I'm the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. I almost said Carolina Hurricanes. I don't know why. You're you're. I'm the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. The T Act gets enacted, right? Right. It's an, that, it's an internship. Is essentially what it is. I got it. But I can hire whoever I want to be my assistant to the GM. Right. But if he is a minority, and after five years, this goes away then I can basically look around the league and call my buddy Jermaine with the Saints and say, hey, I noticed that you had you you, you had uh Joe Schmo. You had Joe Schmo. You had you had Francisco Suave, right? <laughs> and he was your assistant. I know you're not looking for a general manager right now, but I'm gonna be on my I, I need a director of football operations. If I hire him then I then I get a third round pick, or the or the Saints get a third round pick. The Saints get a third get the fourth round pick. So, so I don't get anything for hiring him. No, the only team that gets rewarded is the team that took the initial leap, but they're not rewarded until that person actually moves on and does something better. So if you brought in, if you brought me in as your director of scouting, right? Uh-huh. That, that doesn't net you a pick. But if I crush the director of scouting position because you took you took a, a flyer oh, and then, and and then I promote you, then you promote me to play to director of player personnel, right? So I've proven that I'm qualified for the position already. So what's so what's do you, is is there a minimum time in in that position? Yeah, it has to be. It's three years. So I have to have you as my director of scouting for three years before I get that pick. Exactly. So there. So there is a way, there is a way, right, for the malicious of thought to use this as an exploitation to gain draft you capital. Know, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hiring hiring Francisco Suave as my, like, or just, I, okay, so I let, let's say I take someone in, right? I take someone in and I take Jermaine in as my assistant to the GM. And after a year, I'm like, oh, sweet, Right. And I stick him in my scouting department. 
Can I then in year two hire another assistant? Yeah, it would, he, but his timeline would be different. I got it. But you said it's a five-year program, right? So now I have five people working in the Carolina Panthers organization that all at one time or, or year after year, I can now promote into positions yeah, that I can it, now get three draft, three, th- four, five, three-round draft picks. No, 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 no. In, in the initial exchange, when I presented the compensations, in-house promotions are only seventh-round picks. So I just so I just have to be good at developing my minor talent, but not employing them. I think that's where you're going to pro- find a problem with the the owners is that they're going to spend time developing these people, and then I, I don't I don't know if they organizations like to like to hire from within normally for those positions. Yeah, which is what they should be doing anyway. So that's why you don't incentivize that. That's what you should be doing anyways. You should be developing within because that's what every good culture does. So if you promote someone who crushes the job and you promote them to the next spot, you shouldn't get a higher pick than that. That's why you get the seventh round pick. But if you did such a good job developing uh, an executive that another franchise was just like, hey, we want to interview this guy. And then the guy crushes the interview process and you guys like him so much. And that's the other thing. The other organization isn't benefiting from the hire other than the hiring. The only one so that's ben- benefiting is the organization that groomed the candidate. So it it in seems the first like place. there's no inst- It seems like there's no benefit to keep to keep the person. <laughs> the benefit is is that he's good at the job. Yeah, but it, it, but it's but it's so but there's, it's, but so there's no benefit to keeping Sean Payton. So the New Orleans have no benefit to keeping Sean Payton. Well, yeah, but I'm talking like like the Miami Dolphins, right? Well, let's let's just say five years down the road, if Brian Flores doesn't pan out, the Miami Dolphins, if they have an average coach, there there's no sense to keep him for a year. If he goes four and twelve, let's just hire a let's just hire a minority coach from another organization. Yeah, the Dolphins don't benefit. That's what I'm saying. If the Dolphins fired Brian Flores this year and you had a candidate that qualified for pick compensation, the team that would get the compensation is the Carolina Panthers. The Dolphins would just get their head coach, which is the way it should be. I see what you mean. Before that, the the compensation system they had before was like, hey, if you're the Carolina Panthers and let's say you're fed up with Ron Rivera, right? You fire him and you're fed up. And you're fed. You're fed up with Dave. Bell. I am. I am. And you fire him, right? I and, was. And so those vacancies were created at the same time. And you hired a minority general manager and a minority head coach. All of a sudden, your pick moves 16, 16 spots. No, that's I, not. How, I see that's, what you mean. That's yeah. not how it works. What would happen is, hey, hey, uh, New Orleans, your guy got hired for this position because you invested time, money, resources, and that guy was an integral part of your organization. Shout out for getting a GM hired. Here's a third round pick. And the whole thing, the whole system, this whole system that thoughts from the stoop with JC, this whole system is designed to build a talent pool. 
the best part about this act, right, the T Act, the Legends Transition Program, and then my Rooney Rule change as a whole is that it doesn't have to be permanent. What happens is when you develop a pool, right, just an, an absolute pool of talent to, to hire qualified candidates from, Right. It's essentially like an A school or a C school in the military. Right. You're pumping them through these things and you're creating qualified individuals for the role they have to go fulfill. And then once that pool is big enough and then those coaches have their coaching tree and 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 ranks are fleshed out to where there is talent. They're just not getting hired now because of the interview process. That's a whole that's a whole thing. You just weren't the qualified candidate. And then this rule goes away. The TAC goes away. You probably keep the Legends Transition Program because, you know, you want to keep helping your vets after the game. But those two things go away, and then it's just a normal hiring process as is. This whole thing is designed designed to get people in positions in the door, junior-level, junior-level talent. And if they crush the job, then they move on, and that organization benefits. And if they don't crush the job – that organization moves on and hires someone else. That's how that's how work usually is done. If someone doesn't do the job well, they get fired. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, makes sense. I just thought it was a better idea, so I just wanted to. Uh, it's, it, it's a definitely better idea. I just wanted to drop it on you live to get your live reactions and you know and explain to you like the thought process behind it. Yeah, I got you. But uh, I think we spent enough time uh, talking about thoughts from the stoop with JC. Let's actually talk yeah. about what they decided to do with the uh, NFL coaching. Yeah. So, so essentially, they just. What well, did they? They oh yeah, they did approve it. Never mind. Yeah. So they didn't. They they scrapped the draft capital incentive incentivizing, but they they essentially just made it. To, they required for two candidates outside their organization to be interviewed for any head coaching job. And then at least one minority candidate from outside the organization for vacant, like coordinator positions. Nothing that, in front office though. Um, I, I believe, let me double check for you. So now it's expanded to apply to a number of executive positions. Oh, okay. Well, so good. they're required to interview minorities and female applicants for positions such as president and senior executives in communications, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, sales, marketing, sponsorship, information technology, and security positions. Cool. Yeah. And then and then the other thing that they included was establish a minority coaching fellowship program. And the coaching fellowships are to be full-time positions, one or two years in length, and provides provide NFL legends, minority, and female participant with hands-on training in NFL coaching. And that's exactly where the T-Act and the Legends Transition Program was was uh, stemmed from, from this little paragraph right here. Yeah. Uh, so it's already found in reality a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and so I was just fleshing out ideas and then – uh, obviously added a whole new um, in-depth thought to it from me. Yeah. But that's enough with the Rooney rule. Just like the organi- just like the owners tabled it for future discussions, we're going to table that and move on. Yeah. 
It's it's going to be interesting coming up, especially in the you know, especially in next year's coaching change to see if if you know Robert Sala and and Eric BM BM. I can't even say it today. I I haven't either. I haven't drank enough, or I've drank too much. Um, and and other coordinators like that, like especially guys that are that are outside of the league now. How are they gonna are, are they gonna get minority? coordinators and head coaches how they're going to get jobs and especially guys moving up from the college ranks too not now that we've seen now that we've seen you know with matt rule getting hired with no nfl experience how is that going to change the rooney rule yeah it was so matt rule was hired and then the year before it was cliff kingsbury and cliff kingsbury wasn't even winning football games was awful wasn't even winning football games in in college so I do, so my three candidates that I, I want to see get hired next uh, coaching offseason is uh, Leslie Frazier, you know, the assistant head coach and defensive coordinator for the Vikings. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, who is the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, uh, and obviously Robert Sala, who's the D coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. I just, I, I couldn't believe that he didn't get hired in the, this cycle. His energy seems so infectious. I just thought he'd be scooped up on that alone, but yeah, <laughs> I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. It's, it's a real, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's a problem that's facing the NFL and, and that's certainly something to your proposition is something that draws from, from this NFL rule change and, and something that's based in reality. So. We'll, we'll have to see where it goes the next coaching cycle. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to put this on official podcast 303 letterhead. Uh, put it that's in right. this little white uh, box thing that's called an envelope. It's not just email. You put it in an envelope. You lick it. Are you talking about electronic mail? No, 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 no. I'm talking about mail mail. Lick it George Costanza style. <laughs> put a stamp no. on it. And – send that bad boy to old Roger G to get his yeah, opinion Ro- on it. Roger G. Yeah. So did you see this, uh, solidarity cup announcement, the European solidarity cup? Yeah. That's the, that's the tournament that real Bayern and Inter are going to play. Right. Yeah. Which enter enter, uh, enter from Spain Ooh. or, or Inter Milan. Uh, Inter. Yeah. No, probably. Yeah. Probably Inter Milan. Yeah, because they so so essentially what this is right is is the, a lot of you guys may have heard of like the Audi Cup right when when a lot of these Cubs cu- clubs come to the United States to play in the summer when they have their breaks right and that sh- that sh- would be starting in July and August right they play the International Champions Cup the ICC uh, and basically because the U.S. is a huge we we see you know. Sebastian Dest and a bunch of other Americans going overseas Sergino, and playing Sergino, in America is yeah. an untapped talent pool. Yeah. Uh, going over, going over and playing in Europe. And this is a big talent pool for these big teams. Real Madrid, Bayern, Manchester United, Chelsea are all coming over here and setting up academies here with a lot of the, the MLS clubs too. Um, but basically because of COVID, they have not been able to play. They're not able to play this summer U.S. tour. 
So they're setting up a tour called the European Solidarity Cup, a 2021 uh, tournament. The location hasn't been announced yet, but they're going to raise money for healthcare services in Spain, Italy, uh, in, for f- healthcare services in Spain and Italy. And Germany. To, and Germany, yeah. And it's to send a message of solidarity to the people of Europe. And I'm sure soccer, soccer fans worldwide. And it's uh, that's kind of like how the uh, She Believes Cup started with the uh, women's right, inter- yeah. the women's international teams. Shout out the dominant U.S. women. That's dominant. Our, that's our sport, baby. Women's yeah. soccer. We women's dominate. soccer. Our sport. Yeah, and then also, so you know, we we talked about these these clubs. We talked about Real, Bayern, and Inter, Jermaine, and, and there's some other clubs in Europe right now that are not able to participate in this tournament because they're they're in a major financial crisis. Yeah, and so <laughs> I'm sure it's not just these two clubs specifically, and I'm sure that it's, it's going to change the landscape of transfer windows as a whole from here on out. It's kind of going to scale back those ridic- ridiculous price tags we were seeing. It's really going to scale them back uh, as maybe. far as transfer fees and stuff. I, I, I don't know about maybe. It's, it's to the point where a lot of these high-profile teams are going to be selling off talented pieces that they were using to win because – They've got to stay afloat, or else they're going to be in some financial woes. Just, just like uh, Man U alone, they were uh, they've added one hundred and twenty-seven point four million euros in debt. Yeah, because of, because of the coronavirus. How many? How many? How much have they added? One hundred twenty-seven point four million euros. Yeah, so so the two clubs that Jermaine's talking about that are in this major, this at least advertised financial crisis, right? We don't hear about all the other clubs that that are not the the big t- that are in the big top leagues of Europe, but Barca and Man United. So you just heard the number from Man U. Barca has lost 154 million euros due to this Corona crisis, and La Liga, which is the Spanish football, the Spanish soccer league, stands to lose a billion dollars if they're unable to play. And that's 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 because all these all, all basically if if you guys know anything about international soccer, it's that these clubs literally create, like Jermaine said, revenue streams. Right? They have museums, they have superstores on the best streets in in the town, best Paris and and Barcelona and Madrid. Their main streets and their main thoroughfare have a F, have a Real Madrid, have a FC Barcelona, they have a a PSG sh- shop on that uh on that street and that's not open anymore a lot of these clubs have museums a lot of these clubs go on that tour like i talked about the u.s summer tour which nets a gigantic amount of money uh for these teams and they're not getting it and then the issue really with with a lot of the spanish clubs is remember remember uh, it might have been like five years at this point back jermaine when fifa enacted the fair play rules the fair play regulations yeah, the Financial Fair Play Act, yeah. Which basically means that you'll be taxed if you're if you are in the red at a certain point in the year. So what Spanish clubs like Real and Barca and a lot of the English Premier League clubs would do, the high the high Premier League clubs like Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U would do as well. Liverpool, Man City. Yeah, yeah, is they would buy Man Well, no, Man, Man City never did it cuz Man City was never rich. Man Man City never never had money until the oil sheiks bought it. And then yeah, once the oil sheik, they just got slapped with the two-year Champions League ban because of the Financial Fair Play Act. Oh, did they? Yeah, I guess 
I guess the chic I guess chic money isn't as good as it used to be. It, it, but that that penalty is so severe that De Bruyne is contemplating leaving to play meaningful as soccer. He, as he should. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying like he's they're arguably one of their best players. But the issue is that they would they would spend in the summer, they'd spend such outrageous money on on these guys like I, I know Neymar got some got some crazy amount of money 222 million euros insane right that's an insane amount of money to play for to pay for one man so they spend all this money in transfers and then they go in the red and then they expect during the year right they're going to work it back up so the issue and and of the cl- of the international clubs that I looked at, Barcelona was the highest, Jermaine. 80% of Barcelona's revenue that they use in a year is spent on wages and transfer fees. Yeah, it's something so like they 500 have, million euros is being They spent. have 20% take home. Imagine that. To put that in, in words for you and I, we spend 80% on bills. They spend 80% on bills and 20% in take home pay. Now that take home that take home pay is like yeah, that twenty percent is still nine figures. Yeah. <laughs> that twenty percent is still hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> but yeah, so right exactly now the total I I, I could only Yeah, that's that's couch money for, for Barca. Like they like the I, I was able I was able to see two two debts and Barca's is $460 million right now. This is right now. This is as of today. Man U's, with the addition of what you talked about earlier, $429 million in debt. That's right now. As you know, Jermaine, La Liga's not happening, and the EPL ain't happening right now. So that's only that's only going to get bigger. They, 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 they were saying that Barca is, is going to get up to $800 million in debt. Now... The issue is that, like, is is Barca going to go under? No, Barca is not going to go under. It's it's FC Barcelona. But the the major thing that's going on here is that they're going to, like you said, these high profile signings are either going to have to sign for a lot less for the love of Barcelona, Real, Bayern, uh, any of the English Premier League teams. Or they're going to have to sit and wait and waste another year and not get paid that amount of money. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what alternatives these guys have, but um, I'm, they'll be fine long term. But they could, uh, they could just be absolutely bogged down in the immediate to where they're losing real talented players. And these teams are stacked. So it really could shift competitive balances. And which, it's something, it's which, something we, that, which we've already seen, really. This, this could shift it towards kind of the lower, the lower teams. And so it's going to rein in those transfer fees. And it's also going to shift competitive balance to where we're going to get more competitive soccer. And it's going to be even more unpredictable. Yeah, and, exactly. And these top heavy teams aren't going to be the dominant powerhouses they usually are. It's going to be, you know, we the the uh 
Leicester City, right? They they what were they? They were like ten thousand to one odds or something outrageous like that. Yeah, it was more. Uh, it was at, at the beginning of their champions or at the beginning of their English Premier League run. It was more likely that President Obama, who was the president of the time, would reveal himself to be a transgender than it was that they would win the uh, Premier League title. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we could see more runs like that. And honestly, I think that'd be pretty pretty great to, just for <laughs> the world That's, of sports as a whole. By, by the way, that is the greatest comeback story of our, of our lifetime. That's that's uh, like for for people that don't for people that don't know that 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 is something that never should have happened, and I am annoyed that it did not get as much coverage as it should have gotten the U.S. media. It's the greatest comeback. It, it's the greatest underdog story of art of our generation of our time. A, a, a club that was that was one game away from regular like uh, imagine this if we can put it into football eyes right nfl eyes this is a team that went oh that went well let's say let's say one in 15 right they went one in 15 and they got the first round draft they got the first overall draft pick and then the next year they won the super bowl by 20 points it was outrageous how like, dominant they were, dude. Like, didn't like, like, didn't they were like the the, the two thousand eight Patriots if they hadn't a loss to the Giants? Oh, as soon as they got in the yeah, it, that's like putting up forty points a game. That's that's how dominant this Leicester City team was. And for those who don't know much about international soccer, they have a relegation system. This team was the last place team before the cutoff. So the, there's three teams below them that actually got relegated to the second tier league. So it's essentially getting bumped from the NFL to the XFL. Yeah, and they and they had to play in a one they had to play in a final match day game to decide who who got bumped down. Two of those teams were getting bumped down and they had to play that third Judging. team and and one and won that game so that they didn't get bumped down. The next year, won the Premier League title. It's incredible. That's that's just wild, just wild. Ah, <sighs> soccer. We'll yeah, see spe- what we'll see what happens. Speaking of speaking of underdog stories, Jermaine, do you see this? Do you see this? That Tom Brady is is getting a nine part uh, ESPN documentary series. Oh man, that guy's such a chotch. Does, You're gonna the name, the name of the documentary series. When you told me the name of his series, I was like, "He is a chacho magacho." The and name, I, the name <sighs> of the documentary series is "The Man in the Arena." <laughs> That's like you're trying to convince me a dude that has dominated the NFL for 20 years is playing when he's 43 years old, has won six Super Bowl rings. I'm 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 supposed to I'm supposed to think he's an underdog, dude. This isn't Bill Belichick's speech in training camp to the Patriots. I don't think Tom Brady's an underdog. It's you, outrageous, you, dude. Yeah, it's it's coming out in 2021. It's it's ESPN. ESPN saw the success of the Last Dance, so they're releasing this documentary on Tom Brady. He announced it, of course. Announces his own documentary. Like you, you, you can't you can't convince me that Tom Brady is this kind of like savant, like or not not savant, but like he's this downtrodden dude. 
Like, oh, I, I only lucked my way into six championships. Here's how I did it. Or, or, oh, poor me. I married the hottest girl on the planet as voted by people. They better have, this is a nine part series. I better see at least two parts on how he open mouth kisses his kids. <laughs> that, but if that doesn't make it in the documentary, ESPN is not doing their investigative journalism. No, no here's the thing. He's such a child One- that I, I guarantee you he has control of this documentary and none of it's going to make him look bad. It's, it's going to, no, he's going to spend nine parts trying to convince us. That every time he got knocked down, he got back up. He got Tom Brady has been knocked down nine oh. times, but he's got back up ten. I, I don't I don't like it. This, see this is this is why this is why everyone's like yeah yeah he's the goat, but he's not the best quarterback. It's 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 this the dude lacks the humility. He lacks just being a humble individual it's like dude yeah you were drafted in the sixth round but like that's an evaluation <laughs> like draft picks i, I would have drafted you in the sixth time. round you look at that dude and you're like this dude should not be playing football you look at him and you're like tom you should have played baseball you don't even look like a baseball player yeah yeah you, yeah, you got drafted in this you're lucky you got drafted in the sixth round there's dudes playing today that look like greek gods that run four 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 forties that that bench 225 20 times that can throw a ball 70 yards and guess what tom they're undrafted and they don't have careers it's dude he's he's outrageous man it's just like dude you got drafted in the 6th round that means you were good enough to get drafted into the NFL you you were like what well, early like about? like I, I could see like early tom brady right like Early Tom Brady gets a doc like this. Like, yeah, the dude that replaces Bledsoe and comes in and wins a Super Bowl. Awesome. Right? Do an early Tom Brady doc. But a nine-part series called The Man in the Arena. First of all, I hate first of all, I hate the man in the arena poem. I have a I have a violent hatred for that poem. There's a poem for, for man in the arena? It's not a poem, it's a speech given by Theodore Roosevelt that talks about gladiators in the arena. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even look it. Look too, it up, bro. everybody out there listening. Look up the man in the arena, and you're gonna see why I'm so angry. Because it's talking about a dude who gets beaten in the arena. But the main thing of the 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 main summary of the poem by Theodore Roosevelt is he's saying, although the man is beaten and he's been defeated in the arena in battle, that. It that no one can criticize him and the people outside the arena aren't allowed to criticize him because he was been in the arena, although he's broken and bruised and beaten. That's the first line how it starts out. No one can criticize him because he's in, he's fighting in the arena, he's covered in dirt. He's the one fighting. Fuck you, Tom Brady. Oh, dude, I stand by my Chacho Magacho statement. Oh, of course. But after you did Jermaine, after this podcast, go and read it. I, and this is and this is where someone on the computer would do great because we could they could read it and we could just be like oh fuck this guy, right? <laughs> I'm gonna hear I'm I'm gonna you know this this is just something I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the opening I'm gonna read the opening lines of this stupid poem. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll filibuster in the meantime. All so right. I just I just want to get two quick points off real quick about uh, LeBron James and Adam Sandler teaming up for a Netflix basketball right, movie. Okay, I pulled up. <laughs> called hustle bro like how wild a pairing is that lebron and adam sandler 
Yeah, LeBron, LeBron, where's Space Jam? I don't want Hustle. I want Space Jam. Where are you with Space Jam 2? Yeah, I don't care about I don't care about hustle, LeBron. Give me Space Jam too. All right, also, here's- are you releasing LeBron uh, 19's Space Jam edition just like Jordan did this Jordan 11's? Because I want a pair. Tell him to get on it. <laughs> LeBron, I don't want hustle with Adam Sandler. I haven't even seen Uncut Gems to be honest. Tried to watch it the other day. It wasn't on Netflix. You got to rent it. It's fire, bro. Anyways. Yeah. Let's so, all right, so, so here's the poem. I'm going to read it super fast. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the Rita, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows that at the end, the triumph of high achievement? And who at worst, if he fails, at least fails doing greatly so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat? (laughs) What a fucking douche. (laughs) Dude, if people could see my face, uh, my the mouth, dude, my the mouth dude who fails, the dude who fails again and again, get the fuck out of here. My mouth was agape the whole time you were reading that, dude. Yeah, it's it's that's that's why you see like the the man in the arena it makes you seem like he's putting himself up to like some gladiator, but I guarantee you Tom Brady in his vain ass sitting in his giant house open mouth kissing his kids with Giselle suntanning in the backyard was like, "Yeah, you know what? This is me." As he freaking counts his six championship rings. Wild. Freaking asshole. Wild. <laughs> all right dude that's enough tom brady talk fuck that guy we're moving on so the topic that we're going to touch on uh in depth even though we're already close to an hour in uh for this podcast was our nfl under 25 teams right so you and i uh did a little exercise together where we picked our top players for each position uh that are under 25 in the nfl so the way we'll the way we'll go through this is we'll start from quarterback down and uh, you'll go first and then I'll go and you know we'll we'll talk about a little bit of their merits we'll give a little stats but we'll probably trim some of the stats due to the length uh, yes, and we'll just touch on everything. So ESPN does this every year they do their top twenty five under twenty five. I came up with I, I we came up with the idea to do a. Uh, um, an offense, a complete offense of, of under 25. So you have the all-rookie team, right? That factors in a lot. But this, we did not take a player over the age of 25. We looked up every single one of their ages. And like Jermaine said, we'll go position by position. So I'll start, Jermaine, with my quarterback. It's Patty Mahomes. Patty Mahomes, he's 24 years old. I'll give you some of his stats. Not that you need to know him because you know who he is. Super Bowl winner, MVP, all-pro, offensive player of the year. Fastest player to seven and a half thousand yards tied for the most consecutive 300 yard passing games in NFL history. He had eight of them and he's the fastest player to 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns in NFL history. And Oh, by the way, he doesn't even have to look at his wide receivers to throw it to him. Yeah. I'd say he's pretty good at football. Yeah. He's, he's, he can, he's been known to throw a pigskin H- hashtag good at 
pigskin. <laughs> yeah, pigskin well. <laughs> pigskin well. That is a great hashtag. Um, all right. So, man, I felt like I've said um a lot today. It's definitely the alcohol. Uh, <laughs> In, in the words in the words of my friend Keith, shout out Keith. All podcasters should drink while they podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and speaking of, I'm gonna take a little sip break. Sip break. All right. Well, I'll 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 give you. That's pretty much all I have on on Patrick Mahomes. No, it's all yeah. right. I'm, I can't I'm I can't explain anymore. Shout out Mike Hess Brewing for uh, opening today. I stopped by and got the world's worst growler full of the world's pretty delicious beer. Anyways. My quarterback, uh, obviously the choice is here is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, he's the reigning Super Bowl champion, so that's the choice. But I'm going with, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the NFL right now. Uh, under 25, because he it's probably Russell Wilson and then this guy. But Deshaun freaking Watson, quarterback, Houston Texans, out of Clemson. He's 24 years old and... 24 and six months years old. So I just put a little note to his TD to interception ratio is 2.48. He has a passer rating of 101 and he's already over 10,000 total yards. That's rushing and receiving. Yeah. I mean, if, if Bill O'Brien shout out, Bill O'Brien suck a big toe, Fuck Bill O'Brien. This is an anti-Houston Texans podcast. They could win the Super Bowl. We would still hate them until Bill O'Brien gets fired. We said that in episode one. We're saying that episode four. I'll say that episode seven, 23, 56, until Bill O'Brien is ousted as a, a, What's, a what, any and, form of the NFL. I need him to flip my burgers, and I will not tip him. That he's going to be a terrible burger flipper. But so – uh, if if the Texans could find a way to surround Deshaun Watson with with actual blockers who don't utilize uh, the swing gate blocking methodology, uh, he would actually be probably in contention for Patrick Mahomes' spot at number one. That's what I think. I mean, he did he did jump to what was it a twenty four point lead against Patrick Mahomes in How the playoffs. <laughs> typical Bill O'Brien fashion. He fudged it all up. He's the worst second half coach in NFL history. And he took that from Jeff Fisher. The dude, the dude. Loses oh, come on. No, no, no Jeff Fisher slander on this podcast. He gets enough slander from the media. <laughs> He's Jeff Fisher is good enough to keep his job. That's, about, that, that's Ooh. about it. <laughs> Jeff Fisher doesn't have a job anymore. So, all right, we'll, yeah, we'll, eighteen seasons, bro. We'll move on. We'll move on to running backs. Oh, sorry, so obviously, I went on my Bill O'Brien rant. So obviously, I'm a homer. So run CMC uh, is gonna be my first running back. He's 23 years old. He was an All Pro. I mean, I, what 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 can you say about the player? He accounted for 91.3 percent of Carolina's snaps last year, and that's because they stopped using him later in the season. He's the third player in NFL history with a 1,000 rush yards and a 1,000 receiving yards in a season. He, last year, accounted for 43% of the Carolina Panthers' total yards, Jermaine. Totally. Good God. <laughs> I didn't know that. That yeah. is... 40, 40, 43%. My second running back is a guy that I, I love, 
but laughed in the face yet last year when he was taken in the fantasy draft. He was, I think in in one of my fantasy drafts, he was like the fourth running back taken. We laughed and we laughed and we laughed. And then Nick Chubb rips off uh, 298 carries, almost 1,500 yards, and eight touchdowns. Jermaine, in the two years that Nick Chubb has been in the league, he has not posted a yards per carry under five. He has, in his time in the NFL, he has 110 missed tackles forced. And last year, 75 of his yards were gained after contact. Boy, boy, don't avoid contact. And he's 24 years old. So, pay, so, pay, so give him one contract and then he's out of the NFL. Classic running back. <laughs> Classic running back. I just want to touch on that Nick Chubb fact. Um, Nick Chubb was so good last year that it took the return of Kareem Hunt and Freddie Kitchens completely fucking it up at the end of the year where he stopped handing the ball to Nick Chubb for Derrick Henry to win the rushing title. Shout out Derrick Henry, who is a monster among men, but he's not under 25, yeah. so he's not on this list. But yeah. if Derrick Henry... Derrick Henry deserved that rushing title, but Nick Chubb got absolutely robbed. And if I guarantee you, if Nick Chubb had won that rushing title, there'd be a lot more different conversations this offseason about Nick Chubb. Yeah. I mean, so, good, 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 good for Cleveland. Cause I mean, maybe they, ha- maybe they have another diamond in the rough with Nick Chubb. I don't think so. Looking at these stats, he was four yards his rookie year. He was four yards away from a thousand yard season with 192 carries. That's like, Five point five point two, yeah. Jesus, bro. <laughs> All right, let's let's hear your running backs. All right, so I uh, I went with old Run CMC himself as well. Uh, you know, few of my notes was two time first team All Pro, over fifty four hundred total yards and thirty nine total touchdowns. I mean, hashtag pig skin well. Yeah, and then so, well. so I went with uh, somebody who doesn't have as much pub coming into this year as he did last year, but still hashtag pig skin. Well, so he was a former rookie of the year. Uh, he's over 3,300 total yards in two years in the, in the pros. And he has 23 total touchdowns. This would be the one and only Saquon Barkley running back Penn state. Yeah, he's I mean, 20, that- 23 years old in a, and two months in case I didn't say that. Yeah, that high ankle sprain is is you know as much as we like to think that he's a robot with gigantic quads that can come back from anything. I, I think that really impacted him last year, and also the fact that Will Hernandez really dropped as a run blocker last year, and a lot of the Giants' defensive line did. You can be the best running back in history, and if you're if you're constantly have defenders in your face three yards behind the line of scrimmage, well, hey. Don't you take a shot at my hometown college offensive guard in the NFL. He is he was, It's he the was, rest of the Lions' fault. <laughs> have you ever heard of this little website called Pro Football Focus, Jermaine? No. What do they talk? They talk about soccer. Yeah, pro foot. Yeah, only only pros though. Now that's 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 good. Moving on to tight ends. So <laughs> the funny thing, the the thing that that. Well, I'll, I'll let you say, Jermaine. I won't take your thunder. I picked Mark Andrews from Baltimore. Right, so a guy that matched with uh, Hayden Hurst last year. They were kind of used. Baltimore used a lot of two tight end sets last year. Mark Andrews 
had still had almost 900 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's second among receivers, Jermaine, not just tight ends. Mark Andrews had 10 touchdowns last year, and he was being used in about 60% of snaps. He's 23 years old. He actually had one more touchdown than uh, Michael Thomas. Wait, you said he was only used on 60% of the snaps? 60% of Baltimore snaps he's been used. Jesus Christ. Mark think Andrews about, is about to think, be think about that. the league, bro. He's about think to about devastate that. this league. They're just going to leave him on the field. He's just going <laughs> to eat everything. The one, the one thing that I did see is that he had a 65% catch rate, though. So that's not fair. <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to get on the jugs machine a little bit more. So he's the opposite of Chris Godwin. That's right, yeah. Okay. Uh, so my tight end, you know, for for my posterity's sake, I decided to go with uh, someone else. <laughs> Mark Andrews is the obvious choice, but I just wanted to spotlight one ind- individual. But when I was trying to pick a tight end, I, I sat there and I was just like, man, the question I kept popping into my head was, what's harder? Find a tight end to start in fantasy football or find a shining star tight end under 25. Yeah, it, it would be, it would, both of them are equally hard, but the second one is, was kept me, kept me up last night. Yeah. So, uh, my guy had 40 receptions last year, right? Which was top 20 for tight ends. And then he had 562 yards, which is top 15 for tight ends in 11 starts. Right. So he only started 11 football games. This it would be uh, rookie Noah Fant, who plays for the Denver Broncos. He's 22 years old, 22 and five months old, and he's out of Iowa. So let's move on to your wide receivers here. Yeah, I mean, Noah no Fant's a good pick. I would have said Jonu Smith, but that's kind of recency bias with me because he played decently well in the in the playoffs, but he was hot again, cold again. But Noah Fant's good. That's fine. It, like you said, finding finding a, a tight end outside Mark Andrews was was like – throwing darts at a dartboard that's not even on the wall. So the other guy I considered was, uh, I believe he tore his Achilles last year, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it was Will Disley, the tight end oh, yeah. for Seattle. Uh, he's a terrific football player. And my, my skin well. reason for <laughs> pig skin well, my reason for um, considering Will Disley is that he's such a terrific blocker on top of that. What's so funny is that, everyone considers him a blocking tight end. And then he just goes out there and catches bombs on everybody. This guy can catch. All right. So my, so my first wide receiver, Jermaine, I'm going to give you a little bit of stats. I'm going to give you stats three. I'm going to give this, this three years. So his first year, right? 34 catches, 525 yards, one touchdown, only started two games, 2018. 59 catches, 842 yards, seven touchdowns, only started five games. All right. This year, third in the NFL in yards, third in receiving touchdowns, and second in yards per game. Do you know what wide receiver this is? All right. So he's a three-year pro. I mean, he absolutely tore it up last year. He's under 25 years old. Yeah. So so it can't be Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones. It's or- not. I'm going to give you the answer. It's Chris Godwin. Oh, man. So, so Chris so Chris Godwin from Tampa Bay, he's 24 years old. Jermaine, I, I should have just given you one stat that's going to blow your mind. Last year in 2019, Chris Godwin had 96 catches. He had one drop. 
<laughs> he caught 86 out of 87 balls for 0.8% drop rate. That's it. Second wide receiver that I have, A.J. Brown from Tennessee, killed it. Posted over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns in his rookie year. He led every receiver in the league with yards after reception with damn near nine. And this boy only needed 84 targets to reach 1,000 yards. The other two wide receivers that only needed that many targets is Stefan Diggs and another escapes me now, actually. I'll look that up. All right. You go ahead and look that up. And then what well, here? And then my third one. So Homer, Homer pick again, DJ Moore. DJ Moore was a 2018 all rookie, right? He has the third highest, since he came in the league, he has the third highest pro football focus grade on slants and in routes behind DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Thomas. Pigskin well. Last year, he had almost 1,200 yards and 87 catches playing a majority of his time with Kyle Allen and Will Greer. <laughs> DJ Moore, Carolina. How old is he? 23 years old. All right. Let's hear oh. Jermaine. You, oh. you, you agreed with me on two of these, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, so we're not going to go into too much on these guys, but that's pretty funny that, you mentioned that slouch and in routes comment with nuke and Mike Thomas. And it seems like Mike Thomas is the only one who gets crucified on the internet. Well, I don't know the internet's vendetta against him, why they're trying to prove that he's not good at football, but all right, we'll let him have it. <laughs> here's, here's the thing about a slout, uh, a slant and an in route. Like it, it's fun to like go deep and like catch balls, like while running down the field, but like Wes Welker has like 17,000 concussions because he would catch a seven yard slant and get demolished by whatever defensive player was playing in the middle. If you were to say it, it's more impressive to me that guys have yards or, or like high grades on slants and in routes because they're not afraid to catch the ball and be like, well, whatever hits me, hits me, I guess. Yeah. I saw a fun little stat on Mike Thomas that if you take away all his yards from slant routes, he still leads the league in receiving yards. <laughs> yeah, but he had too many yards on slant routes. Shut up. He's a good wide receiver. You don't play in the NFL. Guess what you want? Yards. Guess what yards lead to? Contract bonuses. Guess what contract bonuses lead to? Money in your pocket. Shut the fuck up, haters. Uh, it, it just makes me laugh because like if Mike Thomas was on their team, they'd fucking love it. <laughs> like, so like, yeah. All right. So my only difference from you is that I don't have DJ Moore because I'm obviously not a, a biased uh, picker, but I, I replaced him with a biased pick. <laughs> so I actually picked uh, a guy that one Papa some cheddar last oh, week. Oh, you did, some did you? Cheddar. So he hit 100 yards and a touchdown uh, for a prop bet payout. Oh, my dog. $1,264 dollarinos in my pocket. This is none other than Scorn McLaurin, Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin out of Washington, 24 Years old and six months. Jeez. Yeah. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it. He won me some money too. 
that was that was awesome. All right, we'll move on. We'll we'll, we'll move on to offensive line. So my two tackles, Jermaine, are Brendan Smith from the Colts. Braden, Braden, Braden. Braden sorry, Braden Smith from the Colts. He's 2018 All Rookie. In two years, he's played over 1,800 snaps, and last year he was graded by Pro Football Focus as number 12 of 82 tackles. So he's pretty good. Pigskin well as a second-year player. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, say your other tackle. And my other one is Orlando Brown Jr. Obviously, famous pedigree, not very good combine. He plays with Baltimore. He's also played over 1,800 snaps. In those 1,800 snaps, he has six penalties and three sacks allowed. The, the stat that I found mind-blowing is in 2019, he played 100% of Baltimore's offensive snaps. He Whew. did not he did not come off the field for a single snap. Dang. Uh dude is also six foot eight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I said, he has a famous pedigree. Obviously, his friend is or his father is Orlando Brown Sr. Yeah. Famous Ravens uh, offensive lineman. So we're just gonna get this out of the way now. Uh Nick and I found the offensive lineman department to be extremely lacking under 25. So we ended up with the same five. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, knock out the guards and centers, um, and then we'll move on to defense, everyone's favorite side of the football. D. All right, so obviously we got Quentin Nelson. He's 24 and a month years old. Uh, I mean, you don't really have to, have to say anything. Last year he had three penalties, zero sacks. Uh, enough said. Everyone knows he's phenomenal at pig skinning well. And, he's a uh, he's a he's a Hall of Fame player, and he's played two years. <laughs> exactly, uh, and then then we both settled on a Mississippi State product who is twenty four and four months years old in Elton Jenkins out of Green Bay. And I'm not sure if I said that first name right. It's E L G T O N. That's unique. It's fun. I might have said that wrong, but he started fourteen games. He was a top ten left guard, zero sacks, and a thousand snaps total. Uh, for his for his career, and then yeah. and protecting first, Aaron Rodgers, protecting Aaron Rodgers' left side, always important. Always important. And then my uh, my first little homer pick of this uh, exercise is none other than center for the New Orleans Saints, Eric McCoy. The young man is twenty two point seven years of age, so seven months. Uh, he played a thousand fifty eight snaps as a rookie. That's ninth most among active centers. One sack allowed. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good at football. <laughs> pretty good at football. All right, so let's move on to defense. This is my favorite side of the ball. Love it. Middle linebacker, deep safety, favorite two positions in the in the, in the league. And if you're and especially if you're a little linebacker come in and hit the quarterback every once in a while. Love that some more. Shout out A.J. Hawk. He used to be one of my favorite players to watch, dude. You remember A.J. Hawk? Yeah. He was fun to watch. Anyway, the, go ahead. The, the, the not-so-talked-about uh, Clay Matthews. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I so I so I took I took two I I really love the Giants young offensive line. So I took two interior D linemen from the Giants. One being Dexter Lawrence. He's 22 years old. He came from Clemson, right? So he last year was 20th out of 118 eligible defensive linemen on Pro Football Focus. He played only 63 snaps but had two and a half sacks last year. 
for the Giants and 15 pressures on the quarterback. My second guy, BJ Hill. Shout out NC State. Go Pack. Also for the Giants. He's 24, <laughs> so a little bit older. He's tied for 21st out of eligible people. He's had over 1,100 snaps in his career. Six and a half snacks, Jermaine, but in 84 attempts at tackling, he's only had four missed tackles. Whew. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> so my defensive tackles, I actually really like the pairing of Lawrence and Hill and, and the Giants, and I was good, considering spotlighting them, but since you already picked them, I decided to, to – to really lean into the homer pick. I mean, the center was clear and obvious who the best under 25 was. That's kind of how we both settled on it. But this one is a real unknown player, and I kind of want to spotlight some stuff. He's also tied for 21st uh, from PFF's grades with BJ Hill, who was one of your picks. He was an undrafted rookie, though. On top of that, right? So there was this real iconic play from the Saints playing the Fal- uh, Falcons. and uh, The Falcons. The Falcons, yeah, we don't say fa- we only say Falcons. Anyways, uh, he stiff armed Matt Ryan after in- in- intercepting him into oblivion. I loved it. He was returning the ball back and just stuck his arm out and planted Matt Ryan into the ground. Uh, it's typical Falcons fashion. So if you haven't seen that play, do yourself a l- little uh, askjeeves.com search and type in Shy Tuttle stiff arm Matt Ryan. You get a, you'll get a little video. Yeah, we don't sponsor the big wigs here. We only use the we use the little guys. Shout out Ass Chiefs. And then uh, I've decided to spotlight another Green Bla- B- Green Bay player, uh, and Kenny Clark. He's 24 and six months years old, and he was the 14th ranked interior uh, lineman on defense. And he had eight sacks from the interior last year, which is he had know, eight sacks last year. <laughs> eight from. From the interior, which is just, you know, unless you're, unless you're Aaron Donald or Indomitian Sue, you're not normally putting up, you know, close to double digit numbers. So I just had to give that boy a little love. Damn, time uh, to eat, young man. If, if I didn't say it already, Shy Tuttle is uh, 24 years and five months old. So let's get to the edge rushers, baby. Yeah, so this is defensive ends and edge rushers. Really, I, there's there's still a few defenses that play the actual defensive end position, and then there's you know more your transition to more your three four, your hybrid four fours that 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 do the kind of edge rushing guys. So anyway, my two guys, one Miles Garrett, right? He comes out of he he's placed for Cleveland. Uh, what more? What more can you say about the guy? I mean, he was on track last year for defensive player of the year, and then. His, ah, he was his, my preseason pick. He, I'm so his about that. helmet, an opposing player's helmet, had an unfortunate run-in with another with that same opposing player's head. I, I like to put it. But Miles Garrett, 2017 All Rookie Team, he led the NFL prior to his suspension. He read led the NFL in pass rush wins, which means he's beating his offensive lineman. In his three years in the league, they're three straight 80-plus grade seasons from Pro Football Focus. And in the last two years, Jermaine, he's had 23 and a half sacks. Whew, that boy plays. My second one is Nick Bosa. So coming from Ohio State, he was a rookie last year. He was actually the defensive rookie of the year last year. He had 80 total pressures last year, Jermaine. That's the most by a rookie 
since 2007, which was when Pro Football Focus started tracking these stats. He was ranked third overall among edge rushers or among defensive end and edge rushers by Pro Football Focus, and he had nine sacks as a rookie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's why he won Defensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah. So I've also got Garrett. It's been well. I've also got Garrett and Bosa um, here as my picks. And I just, for Garrett's notes, I put one of the wildest sports memories <laughs> I'll ever have with the with the Mason Rudolph accident. And then I, instead, oh, yeah. of, instead of Nick Bosa, I went ahead and got Joey Bosa, who is 24 years and eight months old. And he was the fifth best DN slash edge rusher for PFF last year. He had 12 sacks and he was tied for 10th. That's yeah. There's any, any Bosa brother you pick both under 25 is, is a a good pick. We'll move on to linebackers, Jermaine. So my under 25 team, obviously my first pick, and I believe you had it as well. Darius Leonard from the Colts. Yeah, obviously my notes, my notes were this simple. Good at football. So yeah, decently good at football, right? Pigskin. Well, 2018 Defensive Player of the Year, All-Pro. In 2019, he had five interceptions. I mean, what can you say about the guy? Six forced fumbles since he's been in the league, 12 sacks, over 200, over 200 solo tackles. Dude's a beast. My second pick, just sneaking in at linebacker, is Jalen Smith from the Dallas Cowboys. He's not as talked about as the other Dallas Cowboys linebacker, Leighton Vander Esch, and he comes in at 24 years old, and I think he's 13 days away from his, his 25th birthday. But last year, he was second in the league in solo tackles. He had six forced fumbles, and in his three years in the league, Jermaine, he's had 344 combined tackles. The last two years, he's played on 95 and 92% of Dallas Cowboys' defensive snaps. Boy, doesn't leave the field. And then my third my third linebacker, and a dude that doesn't really get a lot of love, I don't feel like, in, in terms of like good young defenders, is a guy in Fred Warner. Fred Warner playing for the San Francisco 49ers. He's 23 and a half years old. His two years in the league, he's had over 118 combined tackles, three sacks, and here's the mind-blowing stat, Jermaine. In 2018, he played 96% of his team's defensive snaps. Last year, he played 99% of his team's defensive snaps from the linebacker position, Jermaine. (laughs) A linebacker played 99%. And this is a team that did a deep playoff run in the San Francisco 49ers. And Fred Warner was out there for the entire time. You said to me in the podcast, you feel like he's old. That's because you see him all the time. Yeah, I I honestly, uh, when you put your list together and I took a quick little glance at it, I was just like, Fred Warner? No, dude, that dude's like, that dude's like getting ready to retire. He's been out there like Brian Erlacher. <laughs> and then he's 23 years old. I, he's 23 and a half. That's, yeah. That's unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, obviously I took Darius Leonard as well. I mean, what an absolute uh, 
savage on the field. And then you mentioned him when you were talking about Jalen Smith. I have Leighton Vander Esch, who only played nine games last year, but he's 23 years old. And I think – so he kind of – I was telling you earlier, uh, you know, uh, off the line, I was like, he is just what I picture when I uh, when I picture an inside linebacker. You know, big neck, already has run problems plays with bloody noses, loves to come up and hit guys in the mouth and let them know he's on the football field. And then he plays end to end and and he, and he has no weaknesses to where he can play all three downs. And that's kind of how I like my, my middle linebackers to be. And I just feel like he's the prototype. Like he, some, like his father and mother were big time seventies football fans. (laughs) Yeah. they birthed him, you know, while watching the Super Bowl. That's a, yeah. Uh, watching watching the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then a uh, good little segue here. I picked up Pittsburgh uh, Steelers linebacker. Which, See that you know, kid? That's that's what professional podcasters do. I didn't even know Devin Bush was his next pick. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went with Devin Bush purely based on the fact. I mean, first of all, he's he's good at football. He was the 35th best uh, ranked linebacker on PFF, but he's 21 years old, you know? And he had the job of coming in to replace Ryan Shazier, and he helped carry a top 10 defense pretty well. So he had 109 tackles, total tackles, in his rookie season, and he had six turnovers. And four fumbles, two picks, and then he also had four pass defense, uh, four four passes defended. I mean, as a twenty-one-year-old in the league who had to fill Ryan Shazier's shoes, I can't say he he could have done any better. Realistically, no, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, so it seemed, uh, like, seemed like he really walked away with that job. <laughs> that's that's a rank joke. <laughs> Sorry, that was. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I like to apologize for that one. Oh, one little thing I wanted to tease, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing on my end, is that you said Darius Leonard had five interceptions, correct? Yeah. So he, he was tied for uh, second in the league, and uh, I'll tell you, uh, he was tied with a, a safety for second in the league with mm. five who I'll, I'll foreshadow a little um, for just little foreshadowing I'll, I'll let you guys know a little later that's very good that's like a tr- that's like a trivia question before the trivia question so with that excellent segue Jermaine it's, it almost seems like you're a professional podcaster as well we'll move into defensive back so my two defensive so we pick two corners and two safeties if you don't like it make your own podcast <laughs> my two cornerbacks Jermaine I, t- I took Marshawn Lattimore from the New Orleans Saints. I know you'd love that. 2017 defensive rookie of the year. He's the high he has the highest pro football uh focus grade among cornerbacks since 2017. In 2019, Jermaine, 88 targets to him specifically. This is not to a side of the field. 88 targets to him specifically, 50% completion percentage, 79.4 QB rating when he's targeted. Yeah, and he's and he's 24 years old from Ohio State. My second cornerback, Adore Jackson, cornerback for the Titans. Kind of one of the main reasons that the Titans were able to make such a pretty deep him and him and Derrick Henry on the offense and and Adore Jackson holding down the secondary is the reason the Titans were able to make a pretty deep deep run into the playoffs. Well, Kevin Byard as well in the secondary. Very true. 
In 2018, sticking with the completion percentage, 57% completion percentage on 115 targets, Jermaine, in, for Adoree Jackson. In 2019, he had 54 targets and only allowed one touchdown. He got thrown. He's basically he's basically the Titans over the top, over the top cornerback. He got thrown at forty eight times over the top. So I, when I say over the top, I'm referring to passes of over twenty yards. He got thrown forty eight times over the top. He allowed twelve catches and forced twenty two breakups. Whoo! Dang, that's a man. He's. <sighs> I remember when they picked him in the draft, and I was just like, "Man, he's gonna be a real good player." Twenty-four um, year old from USC. That's that's a this is two two real good choices. So, cornerbacks one of those positions, kind of like wide receivers, that's a little more deep. So it allowed me to go uh, kind of counter to you and present some other options. Right, I just wanted to spotlight a few uh, unsung heroes. Uh, two more NFC uh, products. And we got one out of Green Bay and Jair Alexander, 23 years old out of Louisville, right? So he's a 28th, 28th ranked uh, cornerback on PFF. And he had, he had, he allowed 55 receptions on 98 targets. And he had 52 solo tackles, which I just love when I see a uh, cornerback. When I see a cornerback get in there and, and really lay some wood, I'm a big fan of that. Shout out, uh, my favorite hit of all time, right? Bold statement, I know, but Sheldon Brown. Yes, the Reggie Adam, Bush hit. Oh, dude. So I'm a Saints fan, but I hate Reggie Bush because I'm a Longhorns fan and obviously the 2005 Rose Bowl, you know. Anyways, so I hate Reggie Bush. So I was not a fan when we drafted him. But when I saw him get lit up oh my God. and have to crawl off the field, it's one of the nastiest things I've ever Crawled seen. to the wrong sideline. Crawled dude. to the wrong side. And it was in a playoff game. He was just trying to get off the field, dude. <laughs> he was just trying to get off. He, he didn't know. He didn't know what direction was up. He didn't know who his mother was. You, you, he, you. If you had asked him what planet in the solar system was on, he'd be like, "There's a solar system." <laughs> he got, so, he, got hit, he got hit so hard it transported his kids to the present and beat them. <laughs> I think uh, Kim K broke up with him because of that. Exactly. <laughs> so the second guy I got is actually the lesser known Griffin brother, right? Out of UFC, Shaquille Griffin, who plays for Seattle. And he was the 10th uh, ranked cornerback last year for PFF, right? He allowed 40 catches on 66 targets. And then he had 53 solo tackles. And you know, we just went over our love both for your cornerbacks are both your both your cornerbacks are just seek the ball carrier. Oh yeah. They were like, oh, we didn't get thrown at. Time to go hit somebody. <laughs> Time to go hit somebody. All right, so we'll move on to safeties. So I got I got two safeties, Jermaine, in my under 25 team. So my first safety is Derwin James from the Chargers. He had a little bit of injury problems last year. I still believe he's he's the top two safeties under 25. He's 2019 or 2018 all pro, all rookie. He played four different positions last year. This is talking about last year, 2019. He played in the box. He played as a slot corner. He played as a free safety and he played as an edge rusher. So that's four positions. PFF graded him an 80 plus at every single one of them. He's 23 years old, Jermaine. 
Yeah. My second guy is Jamal Adams. He's 25 and a half or 24 and a half. Excuse me. 25. I almost ruined the whole, almost ruined the whole game. He's 24 and a half. He plays for the New York Jets. I mean, what, what, what more can you say about this guy? I mean, he, he's fifth in pro football focus out of 85 eligible safeties. He has, he had one interception last year, but he got targeted 33 times and they only caught 20 passes. Yeah. So I feel like you cheated on this, to be honest, because first of all, uh, Derwin James, uh, only in one position on this is cheating <laughs> based on how the Chargers use him. So he plays all the positions and Jamal Adams plays the very similar style. They're uh, kind of pre uh, you know, they came after Dayon Buchanan and Tyron Matthew and they're precursors to guys who are coming out like Isaiah Simmons. So it's pretty, it's pretty awesome that you got both those guys. I, I so I left Derwin James off my list because of the injury, obviously, but I still think he's, he was one of the reasons why Lamar got stopped in the playoffs in his rookie year. So, and then Jamal Adams, for some reason, the Jets keep talking about trading him. So I don't know what's going on in here. So oh, that's hilarious. Where you come in because the Jets don't know a good thing if it bit him in the ass. <laughs> so where you came in with your two strong safeties, I kind of went the other direction and have two free safeties here. Uh, not that those positions are real anymore. It's kind of like if you play safety, you play safety. But so I went with uh, the aforementioned illusion of Minka Fitzpatrick, who's twenty three and a half years old. And he had five interceptions. You know, he was tied with Darius Leonard. So that's how good Darius Leonard was. And, uh, you know, so he had 15 completions allowed on 23 targets. But he was only targeted 23 times. And what's really crazy about him is just the overall impact he had on that Pittsburgh defense. So trading away that first round pick is actually to get Minka Fitzpatrick actually had the returns it, it needed because it yielded a top 10 defense and actually kept them in the playoff race with Duck Hodges as their quarterback. Last yeah, with, with, with the extent, with the seven teams in the playoffs that the NFL expanded to, Pittsburgh would have been in. The Pittsburgh Steelers had a bottom 20. A bottom twenty, a bottom ten pass defense before Mika Fitzpatrick. When Mika Fitzpatrick returned, they were top five. Jermaine, I believe there were three in the NFL when Mika Fitzpatrick joined the Steelers. After he joined the Steelers, incredible, incredible impact. Yeah, he, I, I got. He's not spotlighted enough because most Pittsburgh players kind of play under the radar unless you're AB. <laughs> and so so he's not really spotlighted that much but he's he is much much better than advertised and then i went with my uh who he was my initial homer pick right so he's most famous for the minneapolis miracle which everyone loves to talk about and uh, <laughs> it's it's Part of the uh, defenseless target, defenseless receivers like in the air. And so he flinched and he cost the Saints the trip to the NFC Championship. So everyone remembers that one play, but he's actually the fourth rated safety in all of football with the PFF grades. He had four interceptions last year and was targeted 21 times and only allowed 11 completions. Uh, the Saints just continue to shine with their ability to draft impact players. And 
I just wanted to spotlight him because he gets such a bad rap. I mean, it was he obviously messed that play up, but everyone has plays that they mess up. Wait, what? They're human? <laughs> Wait, humans mess up? No. Humans mess up things? To air is human? So we're done. We're done with our top 25 team. Wait, no, we're not. No, because we we didn't forget about you kickers, punters, and kick and returners. So Jermaine, let me give you let me give you my best kicker, punter, and returner under the age of twenty five. And we we pretty much had so here's what we're gonna do. I we Jermaine and I agreed on the kicker and the punter. Um, our kicker uh is Harrison Butker. He's plays for KC. He was. 2017 all rookie team and if not for a man named justin tucker he would have the top career field goal percentage of all time yeah my note for him uh before you went and got the in-depth stats to support was would be best kicker if not for justin tucker he's made almost 90 percent 90 percent of career field goals where did justin tucker go to school jermaine Hook him. That's University of Texas for everybody else who doesn't know. Our Jermaine, talk about our punter. All right. So for for before Nick goes and spins this as his guy, he actually picked some bum for Green Bay. Jake I picked, Scott. I picked the third ranked punter in all football in Jamie Jamie Gillen. Out of Arkansas Pine Bluff, <laughs> shout out Arkansas out. Pine Bluff, <laughs> right? And for those of you at home, pull up your Ask Jeeves, type in Jamie Gillen, Cleveland punter, and just look at the glory that is the lechuga coming off that man's mane. It is just long, flowing, blonde, beautiful. He's named the Scottish Hammer for a reason. He's he he's got what the lacrosse players like to say a flow bucket. <laughs> the dude had a seventy-one yard punt last year, <laughs> and that was that was tops in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and knock off our kicker he, turners and then wrap fo- up fo- the football well. Yeah, so fine. So finally, our uh, returners. I chose Miko Hardman, second team All Pro. Led the lick in, led the league in kick return touchdowns, and he took each kick back about twenty six yards. Jermaine, he plays for Kansas City. Oh yeah, so I actually drafted him last year, right? Because I was, I was like, oh, Miko Hardman's gonna be dope, right? And uh, <laughs> so to see him get a little pub is pretty dope. He's twenty two years old. For if we didn't say that, we might have missed a few of the people's ages, but just know they're all under twenty five. We we promise. <laughs> we promise. And so I actually wanted to put Miko Hardman for my receivers, but I couldn't I couldn't leave AJ Brown or Chris Godwin off. They were they're just they dominated last year. They they deserved that spot. So my punt returner, right? The only, so I don't really know every team's punt returners, let alone if they're under twenty five. So I just went with one that I knew because he plays for my team in Deontay Harris and he was, you know, first team all pro kick returner as a rookie and then he went to, so <laughs> he went to uh and not a, really, so it was a homer pick but also a pretty justifiable homer pick yeah and he's 20 so he's 22 years old and like 
<laughs> he went to Assumption College. Is that a real college? Uh, Assumption College? Like, like, are we assuming that it's a college? Is that what they want us to do? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That's just... I had to Google that. Uh, or no, sorry. We don't use Google on this show. We use Ask Jeeves. That's right. We had to ask, we had to ask Jeeves it. <laughs> and it turns out it's a real one. So I think I might buy some merch. <laughs> Shout out Assumption College. Oh, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Shout out Assumption College. Let's see if we can get it. Make sure it's not when we, when we looked it up on Google, it was the, there's a uh, Assumption College for sisters as well. And that has 38 people that go to it and shares a campus with a high school. So, <laughs> so shout out, shout out the only active nunnery left in the United States. Yeah. Assumption college for sisters. So being, uh, so, so being as this, this is a gambling podcast, by the way, that's the, that's the conclusion of our under 25 teams being as this is a gambling podcast, Jermaine, just a quick note, sports coming back. The Belmont stakes was announced earlier this week that it's going to be coming back on June 20th. So look for closer up to the, Belmont stakes. We're probably going to be running uh, some some segment in the pod that that talks about horse racing. Ooh, oh, so this so they're going to use this as the first uh, iteration for the Triple Crown, then, huh? They're starting with the Belmont. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for that. Let's go, dude. I love horse racing. So I actually went to the horse races out here at the at shout out the Del Mar racetrack. Oh yeah, Del Mar. <laughs> so. All right, now it's time for everyone's absolute favorite portion, and we, we're going to do find them and cut them. We'll just move through it real quick uh, so that way we can get this wrapped up and out to the public. Yeah, so our first our first entry on, on find them and cut them, Jermaine, is, is FC Seoul playing in the Korean Soccer League. Uh, FC, FC uh, Seoul in their game against Wangju, I hope I, I hope I said that right. Where they beat Wangju one nothing. They had obviously we're, we're in an era of Corona where there's no fans in the stadium, so they had mannequins in the stadium. Jermaine, they're facing a fine right now. They're facing. No, 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 a, no, no. They got fined. Oh, they so so they got fined. They got fined eighty two thousand dollars, Jermaine, because some of the mannequins in the stadium. Upon eagle-eyed viewers of the game, they found that some of the mannequins in the stands were sex dolls. Yep. Uh, they were actually holding a sign uh, for the company, like the name of the adult company. Uh, <laughs> I'll see if I can pull that up real quick. But <laughs> So they actually got a record fine. Uh <laughs> Of eighty two thousand, it's the biggest fine ever handed out in that league. Yeah, <laughs> and, South, uh, South Korea was not having this this sex doll f- masquerading as a football fan, and it was a local company in the Koreas uh, called Dalcom D A L K O M. Look them up, podcast listeners. <sighs> All right, and then so the second entry into our find them and cut them edition is Aaron Judge's girlfriend. Her name is Samantha Braxiek. <laughs> and she, she was arrested in Scottsdale late February for uh, <laughs> drunk driving under the influence. 
So she initially blew a point one two five when she was pulled over. Okay. Then late, then later, after the you know closer towards the end of the traffic stop, they get her, they test her again, and she blew a point one six nine. Hmm, that's closer to that's closer to her boyfriend's batting average. <laughs> and at the police station, she actually blew a point one eight one. That actually might be above her boyfriend's batting average. So, I, so I, I know I know a lot of you guys listening out there are saying, "But Nick, but Jermaine, driving drunk and disorderly happens all the time, and getting DUIs happen all the time. Why is this on Finem and Cutem? Because there is video released that TMZ released that during the arrest for her DUI, she was saying, "Don't you know who my boyfriend is?" This is going to look really bad for my boyfriend. Don't you know who he is? Oh, the absolute worst. That's that's classic dependipotamus move. Classic rich white girl move. <laughs> so, Jermaine, I, I have a I, I'm rubbing my temples now and I have a future prediction for you. Oh, I love this. Let's go. So a future I, I'm seeing in my future, a future entry into Finem and Cutem. So Aldon Smith, who is a edge rusher for the Dallas Cowboys, was reinstated this week. As you know, very famously, was kicked out of football when he was with the San Francisco 49ers for, I think, performance-enhancing drugs, right? And then also, also, also marijuana or something like that. Yeah, and he was with the Raiders as well. So my question – oh, kicked out with the Raiders. Shocker. My question to you would be how many weeks before he is on the Feynman Cutem segment? Oh, and what is and what, and what is more likely, double digit sacks or a suspension? <laughs> but just think about that. That's that's that, that's a future that's a future prediction. Oh man, I will. I'm going to marinate. I'm going to marinate. We'll get back to that one. All right, so we we do this every week, Jermaine. We talk about uh, a good cause in your local hometown of of El Paso. Hashtag Run for It EP, and what Run for It EP is, since Jermaine explains it every week, I'll explain it what it is. So it's a local group in Jermaine's hometown of El Paso. Basically, what they did before the quarantine is they would get together, they would go run, and then they would meet up at the bar for drinks and stuff like that. And they're actually sponsored by a brewery. And they would go to that because we're in uncertain times here with the corona and we're supposed to socially distance. They've basically pushed it out to everybody, right, Jermaine? They've, they've pushed it out to everyone to go on your own, run, but still keep that spirit of, of run for it, El Paso. Yeah, uh, so it's really dope what they've been able to do and the kind of response they've generated from their um, community as a whole. I believe there's already eight Eight, uh, I'll have to get that exact number. People that have already topped 100. There's one uh, gentleman who's topped. Hardos, hardos, show offs. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they don't subscribe to our model of just enough to get done. <laughs> yeah. The minimum, the minimum is the maximum. Max, yeah. max, max, relax. So I, it was uh, one gentleman's over 200. And then I believe there's. Six girls who are over 100 and three dudes who are over 100, something like that. It's, anyways, that's just a lot of miles. Girls. 
in, in a tw- 20 uh, day span essentially. And so the right now I'm at a run total of 71.73 miles. And what are you at, Nick? Well, Jermaine, that's an excellent question. If you guys remember my total from last week and the injuries that I sustained while conducting this challenge, I'm officially retiring from the May 100-mile challenge. (laughs) Dude, my foot is still not better. If you see how I wake up in the morning, I wake up limping. I look like an ancient man. (laughs) What a loser. So I am officially bowing out. Everybody that's doing this is way better than me. Did you already say total miles, Jermaine? I have not. So the total so, miles. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So the total miles, people in this challenge, like you said, there's there's a couple over, there's one over 200, there's a couple over 100, but altogether people have run almost 3,000 miles, 2,980 uh, and, and some change over. That's incredible for people to do that. So I contributed my 12 miles to that. Good job, everybody. I won't be contributing 100 miles to it. I'm more of I'm I'm a speed and strength guy. I I know what my lane is. <laughs> the home run hitter, which is what we'll call you. The home run hitter. That's right. So, like we do at the end of every show, right? We posed a, we posed a trivia question to you guys. We posed a trivia question. My trivia. We're going to do this at the beginning of every week. We'll pose a trivia question at the beginning of the show, and then we'll tell you the answer at the end of the show, just to keep you guys waiting. Right, most of you have probably already forgotten about it. The trivia question was: What four teams have never appeared in a Super Bowl? Jermaine, do you have any quick guesses? Uh, Jacksonville. Okay, Jack Jacksonville. And you want me to keep going? No, no. So Jacksonville was one of them. That was good. So the four teams: the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Houston Texans. I know some people out there will say, "Well, Cleveland won AFL championships." Well, AFL championships are not NFL championships. So post-merger 1966, Super Bowl championships is what we're looking for. Wow. Tough to be a Browns fan. (laughs) Tough to be a Browns fan. Your roommate's a Browns fan, right? Yeah. Well, at least they have the Scottish hammer. Yeah, at least. Jamie Jamie Gillen. Jamie Gillen holding it down for Browns fans. (laughs) All right, uh, we've come to the end of episode four. That is uh, four weeks running now. Uh, we just want to give a shout out to all the listeners. We we appreciate all the feedback, all the listens, all the downloads, and everything that you're doing for us. So we we definitely appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully we're providing content that you guys really really like. Uh, please uh, reach out and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Room Three Zero Three. And uh, with that being said, I think we're out. Yeah, I, I I think that'll be it. Jermaine and I will both be will both be posting our top twenty five teams on Twitter, and uh, so follow us on that and and give us your opinions. But yeah, we really appreciate you guys liking, downloading, and uh, peace. Later's. <laughs>